11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, November 2nd. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. A man who was briefly on the lam from police in late August but ultimately turned himself in was indicted by the Sitka Grand Jury last month on 10 counts, ranging from felony burglary to misdemeanor assault. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. On the evening of August 27th, 36-year-old Adam Fondell allegedly kicked in the door of an apartment on Halibut Point Road and assaulted three people. Police responded to several 911 calls about two men fighting in the parking lot of the apartment complex. By the time they arrived, Fondell had fled the scene and they began searching for him. About an hour later, Fondell allegedly broke into the apartment again and attempted to assault the people inside, at one point throwing one of the victims against a stove, shattering the glass in the oven door. One of the victims was able to escape from the apartment and call 911. Fondell fled the scene a second time before officers arrived. All three victims were taken to Mount Edgecombe Medical Center for treatment. Police searched for Fondell throughout the evening and the next morning, issuing a $50,000 warrant for his arrest and publishing a bulletin asking for information on his whereabouts. Fondell turned himself in the next evening. A Sitka grand jury on October 26th indicted Fondell on 10 charges. Three of them were felonies, including two counts of burglary in the first degree, a Class B felony, and one felony count of criminal mischief. Fondell was also indicted on one misdemeanor count of criminal mischief, five misdemeanor counts of assault in the fourth degree, and one count of stalking in the second degree. According to court documents, Fondell is out of custody after posting $30,000 bail. A trial in the case is tentatively scheduled for the first week of January. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. There was a strain on Sitka's housing market prior to the pandemic, but the economic recovery, and especially the jump in summer cruise tourism, has pushed housing near the top of the list of the community's economic concerns. Gary White, executive director of the Sitka Economic Development Association, outlined some of the forces behind the local housing market for the Sitka Chamber of Commerce on Wednesday. White said it's hard for the statistics to capture exactly what's going on in Sitka. Many houses change hands without going on the market, and national survey data about the vacancy rate of rentals is notoriously unreliable. To be blunt, the housing data sucks here because we're not a big enough sample size. White believes the extraordinary growth of cruise tourism from zero in 2020 to well over half a million in 2023 brought not just the housing problem into sharp focus, but many other issues as well. He thought there would be a leveling effect as Sitka adjusted over time. You take that... Uh, 557,000 passengers, and let's assume they all spend $100 while they're in town, which is about is about right. That's just under $56 million that's coming into our community this summer. Take take 6% on that, it's like just over $3.3 million that the city and borough is getting in tax revenue. That's then going to help support quality of life, get us other amenities and whatnot. But the downside is how do we, as a community, absorb that within our traffic patterns, our housing patterns, everything else. This is a challenge that we're playing catch up, right? Instead of this linear growth, we went boom, and our growth didn't keep up with it. So at some point, I'm sure it's gonna even out, but that's, I think, one of the reasons why we're having a housing issue right now. It's been a, a very prevalent topic. And, you know, there's a lot of grumbling about the transportation and the number of tourists and everything else, but I think it's all gonna resolve moving forward. During a Q&A, White discussed another issue that isn't captured by the data, 
Sitka is evolving into a community with two different populations, year-round and seasonal. Over the last three decades, Sitka's population dropped by 8%, from just over 9,000 people to about 8,300 people. White attributed the decline to the high cost of living and expensive housing. From the audience, Sitka Planning Director Amy Ainsley observed that in another aspect, Sitka was actually growing. Yeah, our permanent year-round right. residential base is declining, but that's clearly not the case at all times during the year. And so what is our peak population? And how do we then you know, plan amenities, services, infrastructure for those peak numbers, but in a way that we're not then supporting that peak demand all year round when we don't need to. So, right. yeah, I'm kind of. I'd be curious to hear if anyone kind of digs into the numbers more about what we're looking at more for for peak population. Also from the audience, Search Vice President Elliot Brule echoed Ainsley, saying that many residents who had lived in Sitka over the past decades agreed that there was significant population growth in town over the summer. White's presentation was part of the Sitka Chamber's Autumn Speaker Series on housing. You can find a link to his slideshow on our website, kcaw.org. In recent years, more than two dozen Atu, or Tlingit clan property items, have been repatriated to wrangle clans, but hundreds more still sit in collections of museums throughout the world. KSTK's Sage Smiley reports on the ongoing efforts to bring sacred clan property home. A man crouches, swings his head, and growls through a wooden vocal magnifier in the small round doorway of Wrangell's Chief Sheikh's tribal house. He wears a grizzly bear mask, one of the two dozen items returned to Wrangell clans in recent years from museums across the western U.S. It was part of a celebration, a kuik, to welcome the items home to the Nanya Ayi that took place in early September. Some of the items were part of a large collection amassed by former Wrangell educator Axel Rasmussen. Four had been seized from homes by Wrangell police in the 1930s. Repatriation is a slow and ongoing process. Museums from coast to coast hold atu, clan property of Wrangell clans, including human remains. Returns are facilitated through the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, or NAGPRA, a 1990 law aimed at returning and protecting Native remains, funerary objects, and sacred objects of cultural patrimony. I wish it was faster. Harold Jacobs works on repatriations with the regional tribal government, the Central Council of Tlingit and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska. The tribe has received hundreds of thousands of dollars of federal support in recent years to help facilitate clan item repatriations. Central law says they have 90 days to respond to a claim. Last year, the Portland Art Museum returned nine clan objects to Wrangell's Nanya Ayi, which were taken from them in the 1940s. The last two years, of course, the pandemic held up. They were ready to come back then, but we couldn't do any travel with either institution, the tribe or the museum, because of travel restrictions. Jacob says Tlinga and Haida had asked for the items back in 2002, 20 years before they returned to the Nanya Ayi. Clan members used some of the objects to lead dances at Celebration in 2022, the biennial festival of Tlingit, Haida, and Simsian cultures. Many other repatriations are in process. In early March, a museum in Maine published its intent to repatriate a Kiksedi clan helmet taken from Wrangell at an unknown date. That intent to repatriate came after representatives from the Central Council visited the museum in 2018. An item that belongs to the clan belongs to the whole clan, and it's supposed to remain 
with that clan. Kuntz, Richard Oliver, is a former tribal president for the Wrangell Cooperative Association of the Kayash Kiditan clan. Earlier this year, Oliver traveled with Harold Jacobs and others to New York City to see more than 100 Wrangell clan items in the Museum of Natural History and the Museum of the American Indian. Some of them, we don't know which clan they belong to, but we do know they came from Wrangell. Um, so, some are the Nanyai possessions, Chief Sheikhs, um, also some are Kayash Kuditan we know of, but the rest was from the Emmons expedition when they came through here. They didn't have any rights to them. Some of them are shaman objects that were just taken right off of their graves. Proving clan ownership is an important part of the repatriation process, but that can be tough when items are ancient. Kathleen Ash Milby is the curator of Native American art at the Portland Art Museum and an enrolled member of the Navajo Nation. She oversaw the return of the nine Nanya Ai Atu in the spring of 2022. And this case was actually kind of exceptional in a way because there was actually photographic documentation uh, going back to the late 19th century that show the items as clan property. And that was actually really kind of exciting to be able to see the objects in their original context. Ash Milby says museums like the Portland Art Museum take dispossession seriously, but are working to shift the historical relationship with tribes. I think that having that federal law has really motivated museums to think more carefully about the relationships with Native communities and how they care for these objects, and also realigning their thinking about these objects as being something purely from the past and not something that's part of a living culture. That living culture is an important reason to pursue repatriation for Oliver, the former Wrangell tribal president. He says objects should be seen, appreciated, and enjoyed. We have a beautiful museum that really should be filled with the things that belong here. And uh, if we have to try to build another wing to fit all these things, that would be a good thing too. Wrangell's museum, housed at the borough-owned Nolan Center, has limited space, but is working on a grant for a new display case. Tribal council members have publicly expressed concern about storage and discussed the possibility of building another museum to house repatriated Wrangell at U and those that come home in the future. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. Taking a look at the community calendar. The local Hispanic and Latinx community presents Dia de los Muertos today, starting at 3.30 p.m. The event will start with children and youth doing crafts, face painting, and reading at the Sitka Public Library. At 6 p.m., a traditional Alto de Muertos, music and traditional appetizers are offered at the Shitkaquan Nakahiri. Both events are free and all are welcome. For more information or to register for the youth event, call 907-747-4020. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.